version. It's, it's the this, it's today's date. Yeah, page six. Here, I got two more. If you already have one, please don't raise your hand. That is, if you own one, whether you have it here or not, because I don't have any more copies. No, you can have it. I got one right here. Um, so, uh, there are no more Hodges or Warfields, that is, uh, pastors who are especially equipped to deal with the times and seasons which we find ourselves in. I know that's a, a bold claim, but I think the evidence bears that out in my experience. And we're going to cover a little bit about that here, because what is going on in society is affecting the church. And that's part of what I'm going to show here, and that's why we have to be aware of this. Um, we have to be aware of social and political and legal and cultural trends, because, again, they are affecting the church. There are Christians and leaders in the church, uh, professors in the church, who take their cues from society, not full-blown, like you would expect a, a liberal to do it, but more like the moderates, where they pick and choose a little here and a little there. They speak like a leftist to some extent, but then when you press them, they're like, no, no, really, I, can, I confess the confessions. Uh, and so they become hard to pin down. It's what uh, Tripp pointed out in the, in the uh, demise of denominations. It's within the church because the leadership is already weak or compromised often. And so I gave a definition of the cultural trends that is affecting the churches, the political trend called progressivism or uh, progressive globalism, some people call it, different names like that. I know people like to use the... the uh, uh, the shorthand uh, CRT, critical race theory, and then call it Marxism or something. But technically speaking, it's not Marxism because lots of people who do not espouse communism as such will be progressive or woke, as they call it in some, in some places. And I talked a little bit about businesses, I think. I think I got to that point. So progressivism is a political and social teaching that all our problems would go away if all our differences went away. That's a broader category than Marxism. Marxism, you would, one could argue, is but a subcategory of the broader idea of if all our differences went away. And their, and their approach, as you recall, is economics. Everything could be reduced to economics. And if we got rid of economic differences, we'd have heaven on earth. That's the core of communism and variations of socialism, which one could argue is a, a lighter form of communism. We just alleviate the differences. And progressivism, uh, as we see today does that not just economics. It's not fair that you have more, and if you have more, there's something you did wrong. But ethnic differences are wrong. Gender differences are wrong. We've got to destroy these things, make it all fluid, and just basically one or something different. And capitalists have picked up on that and ran with it. Uh, the old joke they made a few years ago, which I think I've seen less now on Facebook, because we're now seeing it's not true. Go woke, go broke. It's not true. Microsoft's not broke. AT&T's not broke. Nike's not. They're making money, hand over fist. Amazon made money while the rest of us were out of unemployed for a year during the great debacle of 2020. They made money over that year, and the rest of us didn't. We lost jobs. And they're woke, and they are absolutely woke. So, or progressive globalist or whatever. <clears throat> um, 
Lennon's song, Lennon, 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 whatever, same thing, in my mind, John Lennon. Imagine there's no country, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Get rid of differences, and everything becomes better. I think that's a very helpful paradigm in examining the issues we have today, because we can get lost in the details. If you back up and realize, oh, they're attacking differences. God established these differences. A hundred years ago, we had a debate. It was a debate over the basics of Christianity. The fundamentalist modernist debate, and I summarized that last week, and that's the birth of the OPC. Now, that debate is still with us, unfortunately, but on top of it is a debate over the basics of creation. The basics of Christianity, and now the basics of creation, which is part of Christianity. Christianity doesn't deny the basics of creation. We believe in natural law. Things, differences, organization of society that can be seen even without the Bible. It's clear in the Bible, I would argue, especially the moral law, and above all, salvation, which cannot be found outside the Bible. But the moral law can be and has been. So, for capitalists and big business of America, progressivism, globalism, are tools to open up world markets. We saw that after the fall of the wall in 89. To tear down those tariffs, get rid of those borders, let us flood your nation with our goods so we can make more money, and in fact import jobs overseas to make more money, because you you Americans cost too much, because you want such a high standard of living. It all plays in together and affects the church because, as I pointed out, poor churches have a hard time supporting pastors. Ask the the churches in Africa and parts of Asia when they're underground for that matter. God designed the church to be embedded in a culture and society, and it needs money. It just frankly needs money or food. It needs shelter. Forget the money. You need food and shelter. In other societies, we can't get money. You're going to die. Your church will die. It's just how God designed it. And it's only in America, it seems, or in the West, we have this naive view that God will take care of everything. No, he, he does. He gives you the means to fight back against corruption that's affecting the church, even if it isn't, quote-unquote, in the church in a, quote, church issue, uh, which is one of the problems we're having uh, with our leadership in the, in the Christian churches, I would argue, even Reformed churches, when they keep talking kind of like, you can't talk about these issues because it's political. No, it's directly affecting the churches. It literally is. People are losing their jobs for making a stand on basic creational issues, like I don't want to give money to a guy who thinks he's a woman. So this is where we are, and it was already happening when I was an electrical engineer in the 90s going to college, and in the Air Force where I had to have multicultural training, and specifically it was don't pick on the women. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't go after the women or whatever. I say pick on the women. Uh, don't be bigoted against the women, all the technical language in the 90s. It was called multiculturalism at the time. And now they call it other things, diversity and whatnot, and woke. <clears throat> so, progressives destroy distinctions and differences. We see this in the gender issues between men and women. We see this in international Im- issues of immigration. We see this with various sins, such as homosexuality in the church, that there are no uh, differences of how men and women should act. Uh, in this, uh, and in this case, the world wants to demolish the moral difference between right and wrong at the end of the day is what it comes down to. It's a moral issue. And it becomes a cover for them to do more of their wickedness. So, as I pointed out here, we had the debate in the churches, and we have now, unfortunately, more and more of those we would call woke Christians. It typically deals with, um, again, progressive issues in the church. Uh, In practice, it deals with various and sundry things in the details, and I'll have some quotes to that matter. I made a quote from Professor Horton, which I will... I brought the quote with me to give you the exact quote of what he said. In practice, these basic creational issues that I pointed out 
that we are debating now in the church play out in various ways. Nation states are the assumed state of the world in the Bible times, and I would say uh, by God's design, with the tower of what? Babel being the origin of it. God designed it on purpose, and to fight against it is to fight against God, I would argue. He said, if you, get, if you go for globalism, as we saw in the Tower of Babel, it will go straight towards wickedness across the world. So God actually uh, gave mercy upon his church in particular by breaking up the powers that wanted to combine together and overthrow God. One, uh, we have historical evidence of ziggurats and whatnot and how they're actually designed as temple-slash-towers to bridge the gap, as it were, metaphorically and religiously between God and man. This is reiterated in the book of Acts. You recall in Acts 17.26, Paul speaking on Mars Hill. He says that God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And people like to point that out, specifically progressives in particular, but not only them. See, it's one blood, so ethnic differences are irrelevant. Well, they aren't. Ask the Japanese churches, because they're Japanese churches. Or, or the Korean church and the PCA. You guys know about the P- PCA Korean churches? Probably Trip does. They have entire denominations that are Korean only. And they speak Korean. I went to the website. It's all Korean. I'm not offended by that. But it's the same denomination that has a lot of those progressives saying, you can't do that. You can't have a white church that has English only kind of a thing. You're like, what the hell? What, what's going on here? So this is where we are. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, Trev. They have an entire What did I say? Yeah, I don't have all the coffee through me yet. Yeah, they have multiple presbyteries. Multiple presbyteries. And I went to one of the presbyteries. It was all Korean. The website. It was all in Korean. And you see all the names. The, the clerk, the moderator, the head of this committee. Every Kim, Kim, Kim. You know, every Korean name. Dan. No, they're in America. These are American churches in the PCA that are all Korean. And I don't hear one person whine about it, but what I see in the PCA are men whining about all-white churches. You see this? It's a power game. They don't really believe what they're talking about. When the church doesn't recognize that, we fall for those arguments. We, we feel guilty. See, so you have the world issues already in the church. They didn't want to pick on the PCA, but they're the biggest example. I mean, like, dire presbyteries that are all Korean. <clears throat> There's quite a few... Uh... Yeah, I've seen them in Nevada. When I grew up in Nevada, there's signs in Korean. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's kind of weird. I mean, that's just a kid. Yeah. The basic creational issues are the differences between, oh, I didn't finish the verse. So they like to say, hey, look, it says God made um, from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the earth on the face of the earth. Yes, we're all in Adam. That, that, this isn't denied by anybody with a brain. And it has determined their pre-appointed times. What's this? Oh, every nation. God predetermined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. God set up the nation states. There's diversity and unity and unity and diversity, and we shouldn't be embarrassed of that or afraid of that. But that's used against us. This They emphasize unity and saying, or they emphasize diversity and unity. They, they, they invert the um, priorities there. The basic creational issues of the differences between men and women is more obviously under attack today. But it, but it has been assumed and more explained in the Bible than national differences. Paul argues that Adam was created before Eve. And he says this has significance. 
Phyllis's phone. Sorry, I forgot my phone. Um, men are called to lead, but the basics of creation are under attack in society. The church lives in society, therefore it is under attack in the churches. Remember, our ministers, B, I'm an oddball, but vast majority of ministers go to secular colleges and maybe even um, wishy-washy seminaries. Just because you're Reformed doesn't mean you went to a Reformed seminary. People go to Gordon-Conwell and things like that and other seminaries that are not Reformed at all. And you can't tell me they haven't been taught something along the lines of progressivism. The distinctions and differences between men and women should be downplayed. Why can't a woman be a cop? Uh, Because (laughs) uh, bad guys will just beat her up unless she happens to have a gun. She's the gun that makes it okay. But even then, there's still a difference between men and women. It doesn't change the fact. So... Um, in other words, we have a fifth column in the church. Progressives attack these core values of life in the church, and they are either explicitly or implicitly progressive Christians, progressive in the political sense of the term, although not necessarily in agreement with all the polity of progressivism. And what often stands out is what? What political policy would most Christian progressives say, I don't agree with? Thank you. Abortion. And because they say that, everyone's like, okay, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. <clears throat> I'm glad for that, but at the end of the day, you don't want them in leadership. Most woke, pastors, most, most woke pastors will not be in favor of abortion laws, but they will likely be in favor of many other Democratic Party policies. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm left on a, on a lurch here because I don't know whether word to use left, Democratic, Republican, right. You're like, well, Christians aren't Republican, you know, or the Republican religion isn't. The Republican Party is not a religion. And Christians aren't necessarily identified with it. And that is true. But when you talk in society and people talk to you and they're like, what are you? Say, I'm a Christian. Well, what, do you, what do you believe? Well, I believe I'm against abortion. I want uh, you know, closed borders or something. And I want smaller government. Or at least I want a government that's not going to hurt me. I want them to stop riots of 2020. Something like that. They're going to say, oh, you're a Republican. You're a conservative. And you can sit there and argue all you want. I don't know another word to use. They have a lot in common with us morally. That's the only way I'm talking about it as shorthand. So I'll just say Christian, but when it talks about, again, the society is influencing the church, the categories of society are in the church now. That's why I'm, that's why I'm using progressive or woke with respect to liberals. The particular moral issues is what I have in mind when I say conservative, not necessarily political, because we know more and more the Republican Party talks conservative but doesn't live conservative. They recently had... Uh, a cooperative a big event, officially, Republicans, either one of the houses or something in the Senate, hey, let's get with the log cabin Republicans. Who knows what the log cabin Republicans are? Please raise your hand. They're the gays. Jack Phillips did that. He was all excited, he had a little cake from the local log cabin Republicans of Colorado. Remember, outspoken it was called. So here's the guy, he, he wants us to support him, but he turns around and bakes a cake for gays. Because that's how it works out in the world, and it shouldn't be that way in the church. But it is, because he's already following, and unfortunately Jack thinks like a libertarian. You can't make me do it. If I do it voluntarily, it's okay. No, it's not okay. I don't want to support you for, for doing that kind of support. What's going on with you people? That's how, unfortunately, some Christians think. They're either libertarian-like or progressive. Unintentionally, because it's in society. You go to the schools, you go to the colleges, you see it on TV, you hear it in the news. It's everywhere. Mark. No, it's on Twitter. I have it. Yeah. 
He's got a picture. He's all excited about it. I'm like, what group is this? I look it up. What? You're telling us, what? It wasn't out of principle. Other than the principle is you can't make me do what I don't want to do. Well, thank you, buddy. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> yeah. 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 They make excuses for him. Well, but in this case, because the American philosophy is individualism, and you can do, you can be all that you can be. And if I want to be a woman, I can be a woman. That's that's what we come to. Or or an alien dragon guy. You, a lot of you probably saw that a couple years ago. The guy put in whatever implants and whatnot. Why not? Right. That's the American dream. We're told. Um, and uh, what you point out was very interesting. And I didn't have it in my notes. And I want to read it real quick. Because I find it so insightful. This is from Gene Veith. He's quoting a professor. <clears throat> Gene Veith, or Veith or whatever, is the one who wrote one, a couple of those books that w- we went over in class, Sunday school class. Yeah, Amusing Yourself to Death was... Mo- no, no, no. No, that's Postma. He wrote Postmodernism and he How to Read a Book or something, was that the other one I went through? I think I did Postmodern. So, he also wrote a book with... Uh, Chris Stamper. Okay. Beliefs have become the new status symbol. Symbol. You don't have to act on those beliefs in order to display your high status social status. You just have to signal your acceptance of those beliefs. So observes Rob Henderson and luxury beliefs are the latest status symbol for rich Americans. In the past, upper class Americans used to display their social status with luxury goods. Cars, diamond earrings, well, you can't do that anymore because even poor people have fancy cars and have diamonds on their ears. Did you ever notice that? Today, they do it with luxury beliefs. People care a lot about social status. People care a lot about social status, Jason. That's what you're seeing right there. They know in their hearts there's a difference between a man and a woman and that women think differently, men think differently, although they same conclusions on the important things in life, obviously, and draw different conclusions about practical applications of things than men and women, between men and women. They know these things. But the social pressure is very strong. And this is where I would argue the Christians messed up in the past, because a large swath of them believe in withdrawing from society during the fundamentalist debate. 
And so you draw from, withdraw from society the influence to the social pressure, right, peer pressure, to do the right thing, to have the Lord's Day off. It's a very practical thing. Do you want your children not to have the Lord's Day off? Do you want to have your pastor not to have the Lord's Day off because he's got to work because you can't have the Lord's Day off because everyone works on the Lord's Day? You have social pressure. We had laws, and we enacted that. But now the social pressure is mostly pagan, postmodern, and the like. And people will go towards that kind of pressure. Yes? Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there a, a trend? Yeah. I, I don't know today. The fundamentalism today has changed a lot since back then. I, when I, so I was talking about post-World War II. Uh, you had uh, Rise of Christianity Today and um, other uh, or organizations, but the fundamentalists were a big influence back then. Not the only influence, uh, but that was one one strand. Yes, Mark. I think so. It's been a while. I, I, I miss you, you could take your mask off your ass because I couldn't hear some of your words I have bad hearing already I mean, I w- just forget the JWs. They're odd. They don't have a lot of influence. What I'm talking about with respect to the fundamentals it was a while ago, a couple of generations ago, as an example. It has morphed since then. We had the moral majority I talked a little bit about last week in the 80s. So they're like, let's get involved in society. But even then, they didn't exercise the powers that be, and they were uh, bamboozled to some extent. I mean, the politicians don't deliver. Um, Reagan didn't deliver in a lot of these things. We still had abortion, right? And he actually brought in a lot of immigrants who, turns out, don't vote conservative. <laughs> He's the first one that did the big... Um, Whatever you call that, you make excuses for immigrants coming in. Yes. Yeah. It, that's good to know. That's not my specialty. Well, was that in the 80s or something? That was this year. Oh, it was this year? Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's probably a moderate. Oh, he is. See? See? Is the moderates tend to be progressives, and the game the progressives play is you Christians stop being involved in politics and mixing, mix, mixing gospel with politics. It's, again, they're just broadside, vague, hand-waving stuff to make you feel bad. You're like, but I'm not. I'm not claiming this is a gospel issue. I'm just claiming it's a social 
issue, a justice or a law issue. We don't confuse law and gospel. Most conservatives don't, especially in Reformed churches. And they do. They say, well, this is a gospel issue, um, uh, helping the women with abortion. And if you don't, if you don't have, if your church doesn't have some institution to help women who are struggling with abortion, then you don't take the gospel seriously. That's how they talk. So they'll turn around and say, well, on these social issues, you should vote and do something, but on these other ones, you should withdraw and stop fighting these issues because you're mixing religion and politics kind of a thing. It's just, it's just kind of back and forth, self-serving. Again, mirroring very much what the American progressive, you see them, they do a lot of this shifting back and forth of the ground of their argument uh, often. And um, so I, I will just stop with that book quote. I'll, I'll send you the article. I want to read this other one, which gives you a nice summary of the progressives. It's not an article, it's just a short. Because again, it's in the church. This was actually a study. This was actually a study, a poll, asking questions and collating and everything else. I didn't look into the details of the study. It wasn't done by a Christian group. Most major studies are not done by Christian groups. Barna is not much of a conservative Christian group. They're actually pretty moderate. Uh, in many ways. This study is absolutely fascinating. This guy summarizes and confirms much of what I've observed. One, progressive Christians are more likely to establish their identity through politics, while conservative Christians find their identity in theology. We will argue over theology more than progressives. Progressives say, quit being so nitpicky in theology. What's with all the debates? Why are you so particular? Okay. Also, conservative Christians are more likely than progressive Christians to defy political orthodoxy, which is another way of saying the progressive Christians tend to sound like and talk like and not want to punch left. Pardon? Yeah, will not want to upset the powers that be. That's why you see David French and others, I think I mentioned some of his quotes before, a uh, big writer, he writes for National Review. He was actually pushed, uh, put, promoted uh, to run for president against Trump for a little bit. He had, he had a lot of backing for a while. Um, and he sounds very much just right down the line. We, I call them regime theologians. Theologians that go to Christianity and fiddle with it enough to reinforce the regime's way of talking and thinking and looking at things. It's there, and it's in the churches, brothers. David French is a PCA guy. He's not a pastor, but he still has enough theology training. I can call him a theologian. Jody. Is that in the reform phase, isn't it called the free kingdom? Because they want to separate? I mentioned that last week. I didn't go into a lot of detail. Uh, <clears throat> um, no. Yeah. It, I'm sorry, um, brothers and sisters. I wanted you to be aware of what's going on in short order, but you're all very interested, so I, I can't argue with you. It's my fault. Um, there is what I call radical two-kingdom and then traditional two-kingdom. The traditional two-kingdom, uh, a better way, they, they use different metaphors, is the kingdom of God is, is within us. It's more internal. And the external forms uh, don't express it as much because you can miss a church. You can be in war and still worship God on Sunday, can't you? Is God's going to say, well, where's your pastor? Where's your church building? Where's your, you know, baptism? Dude, everyone's dead, you know, we're out here starving. We, we got to, but we still want to, because we have God as our focus, we still want to take this day and worship him as best we can. It's primarily within us. The kingdom of God is among you or within you, right? And so the external forms, 
can change somewhat, and they have. The, the organization of the church has changed over time from the Mosaic model, which is Moses at the top, you know, under Christ, but Moses. And then you have the hierarchy of courts. We don't have a Moses. We don't have that. So things have changed externally. But some of the things that don't change externally in the church is male and female roles. Calvin was very clear on that. But in the Radical Two Kingdom, they'll fudge around with that stuff because uh, they talk the talk of being a, a traditional Two Kingdom guy, but they don't really have the same model. It's off. It's shifted enough that you can start seeing, oh, why is it Dr. Prof- you know, Professor Horton okay with, you know, um, what was the language of it? What do they used to call it? Uh, contractual relationships, domestic partnership, that was the word, domestic partnership. Why? Because his view is R2K is different than Calvin's. You see it by the application of it. You go, wait, what's going on here? They have a different model. And it's offset enough that you can see the difference, and I, I can't go into all the details. Let me give you the Horton quote so you don't think I'm crazy again. He says, legal benefits, i.e. partnerships, this is pre-Obergefell. Remember all that whole debate? Can we have them just short of marriage and call it domestic partnership, right? Legal benefits, quote, partnership, at least allowed a distinction between a contractual relationship and the covenant of marriage. However, the only improvement that marriage, that is, he puts in quote marks, gay marriage brings is social approval, treating homosexual and heterosexual unions as equal. So he's like, eh, although a contractual relationship denies God's will for human dignity. He admits that. The partnership, the domestic partnership, denies God's will for human dignity. I could affirm domestic partnerships as a way of protecting people's legal and economic security. Now, he never had to. That's why he liked to use the word, I could affirm, but didn't quite do that. And anyway, you're all like, this, this guy sits in the Machen chair of theology. How did he draw those conclusions? Because in his approach to things, you find out their view of natural law is actually even different than the Calvinist view, the traditional view. All your natural instincts, I've known you guys for a long time, about what, how a society should run. Not the details, you can argue over speed limit signs and seat belts. I understand that. I mean, the big issues is pretty much what Calvin and them would believe. They, w- they would actually think we're more liberal in a lot of ways. Because their view of natural law was different. And the R2K typically says, why are you bringing in these politics into the church? Well, we're telling you the real issue is, his whole essay is terrible. His real issue is love. You've got to love your neighbor. His whole paradigm for that essay was, love is my paradigm. Let me apply it to the question of whether gays should be married. And our answer is, no, love is our paradigm as well as the law of God. And the law of God is pretty particular about this situation, isn't it? And natural law tells us if you break up a a major institution that's the foundation of a society, you're going to hurt society. You don't even need the Bible to know that. Uh, So they have something completely different. Don't consider them traditionally reformed. Yes, Jason, that way. That's part of it, yeah. Less than sixth grade. Uh, Martins were here last week, a couple of you. It's 53% labor department study, 2017 or something. 52% have less than a sixth grade reading level in America. How is that going to affect the churches? Think about it. But our churches are not ready for that. 
Um, Bruce. Yeah, I believe it. <clears throat> so that's going to affect our um, outreach. You know, like I pointed out last time, how am I going to preach to an audience like that? I don't preach at a fifth grade level. I could, and I think most of you would be really tired of the sermons after a while. You see that interesting dynamic, how God, again, embedded the church within a culture, and if the culture falls apart, it affects the churches. There are no more Corinthian churches. The church at Ephesus is gone. There's no promise the American church will stand. We're called to fight for it. And we're, we find ourselves no longer fighting theology, but having to fight social issues because it affects the church. And um, so here's another uh, quote from Timothy Keller I just found out, um, where he says that, uh, we have to be very careful not to say, well, to desire a man is unnatural, that is, male to male. To desire a woman is natural, heterosexual or straight. So one of these is more sinful desire than the other. The text is actually saying, no, that basically they are both equally illicit and they are both equally wrong. Timothy Keller is a big name in the PCA. He's a big name in culture because he's actually been interviewed by Newsweek and whatnot both in video and books. He speaks, people think that's what the church believes. That's, I'm sorry, brothers, that's garbage. Our confessions are very clear. There are degrees of sin. Yes, they all send you to hell. We're not talking about that. We're talking about issues today, right now. If someone has come to me and say, I have desires for, think of something besides humans. And you're going to say, that's just as bad as me thinking of a woman? That's not my wife? It is not the same thing. Stealing bubble gum is not the same thing as stealing a billion dollars in terms of intensity and seriousness and degrees of sin, is it? One guy, <laughs> he's going to jail. The other person, eh, slap on the wrist, because there are degrees. We all know that. This is people in power in the churches, in my opinion, influenced too much by society. They want to be liked. We read that here in the nice summary here. I didn't read the rest of the essay where we want social status, and these people want the social status. It's in the church, and we have to recognize. If we don't recognize that, I want social status. I don't pray for the pastor. Yeah, sure. I, I like to think I'm pure in my motives. I want it to progress the truth and to help promote the kingdom of God. They're not doing that, unfortunately. And uh, what you have often with people like Professor Horton, I'm sorry, I've seen in other, other things where he attacks nationalism, with a straw man, by the way, complete, utter straw man, Quite embarrassing. And then Timothy Keller and others, I'm going to quote, Lincoln Duggan, Duncan, is this punch right, engage left. Again, I, I use the words left and right. I, I don't know what other words to use. I just mean what, you, what we understand as conservative as in, in the churches, right? The right, whatever you want to call it in the church. Conservatism in the church. And they will say, you leftists have a point. The conservatives, you know, they're, they're, they, they think too much about abortion and not really think, concerned about the women. I mean, if, you, if you're really pro-life, you have to be concerned about the life of the woman and why she's, why she's brought to this point of having to think about killing her child. I've read, that's what, exactly what they say. So they try to co-op it and say, so the left has a point here, and start bashing around us, but they never turn around and say, shut up, left. There's a qualitative difference between wondering about the why, why the woman has to make this choice because she's poor and maybe we have to have better poor policies in society, and her actually murdering the kid. 
But they don't do that because they are what? Pressured, and they like to think, hey, we're engaging, we're intellectually on the same level. Everyone with me? You guys see how this works socially and dynamically? I mean, you guys feel some of the peer pressure. You go to school and high school. It's there. It's still there as an adult. We lie to ourselves as Americans. We tell ourselves, I'm an individual. No, you're, you, we are not. We're individuals in community. And peer pressure is a real thing. And so they, what? Punch right and engage left. All the time, consistently. And January 6th was a very good example of that. Yes? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And so back under, when I was 12, working at Federal Vision, and I was at the Chapter, I was in the chat room during their uh, assembly. And the, the way that it's always expressed, we punch right, stage left, is we have to be able to reach. Yeah. It's put evangelistic, it's put in gospel terms. Yep. In order to reach the people. Yeah. Yep. Literally, that's what's being raised. Yep. And, and so that, you know, from the, what you'll hear from Christians who are caught up in this is, you know, how do I reach the homosexual with the gospel? Well, I can't sit here and say, God says that you're an abomination, that you're sinful, an abominable sin, and you need Jesus Christ. I need to be able to reach and embrace the Make a bridge to them. <laughs> That's that's a very good example, Trip, and that was twenty years ago. Yeah, and it's in spades now, full spades, full out. The the stops are almost all pulled out now, from what I can see on Twitter and Facebook, because that's where they are. I know most of you aren't on that, but that's where the powers that be and the elites are that are influencing our churches. That's why I watch them. Yes, Mark. Amen. Because I I believe. Most of them are functional Arminians. They talk like Calvinists, but they play around with the doctrines of uh, who Christ died for. We saw this again. I'm sorry to pick on Keller, but the, he's the biggest name, the biggest influence. And I'm supposed to preach to the powers, you know, preach it to the man, right? He was there on stage, you know, interviewed uh, by a, a big name guy. He's still on YouTube. He says, "So you're telling me my my gay friend is going to hell because he's gay? No, I didn't. No, not because he's gay." but because he denies Jesus Christ. What if you never heard of Christ? I mean, he was very emphatic. Keller's like, no, it's not because he denies Jesus Christ. It's because or he's gay. It's because, no, one thing could be both. If you heard about Christ, he denied the gospel. But even without hearing the Christ, he's still gay and he won't repent. He's going to hell. Why can't you say that as a pastor? Yes. Yep. It's appalling, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah, he's had it for a long time. He's retired now. And uh, a number of these issues were already coming up 10 to 20 years ago. But nobody did anything about them, unfortunately. Partly because, again, I don't think the average Pastor Joe, as I pointed out, can't keep on top of all this stuff. I haven't given you everything I have. I was trying to condense it down uh, and whatnot. Um, and they, we just don't have a Hodge or Warfield who can be on top of this stuff, read all this stuff, and rebut it left and right. Uh, who had their hand up? Mark. Sure. And so I think the bigger problem is from our, from our pulpits. We don't, uh, obviously, people are not being taught the law of God. And they can't, like the Bereans, they say, let me see if this is so. And yeah. Something with, a, with a view of like, I'm going to go, is this guy smooth talking me or what? Yeah. And I think it's a shame that we are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, this was brought up in the history part to show you where the church is right now, where you are, where you can pray intelligently, have your eyes open so that when you hear your fellow Christians, reformed or not, you go, oh, I hear, I hear a little progressive. doesn't mean they're progressive per se, per se right? They're just in it. You guys have a lot of stuff. I went through, I went to public school. A lot of things you had to throw off. took a long time. You didn't see it for a while until the situation comes up and the belief comes up. You go, oh, I forgot I believe that. I guess I really don't believe that anymore. That's, that's silly. So, yeah, you want to have compassion. Less so for the leadership. I'm sorry. Uh, influence is real in the church, and the leadership ought to have a godly influence and be aware of what's going on and give the right answers. None of this mamby-pamby, well, you know, all sins are equal and everyone's going to hell. That's not the issue right now. I'm talking about concrete reality of what's worse, what really affects things. That really does. They are so out of touch. I'm more and more convinced, at least and where we are today, that any pastor ought to have real-life experience of several years of some schooling, uh, not schooling, of some job somewhere with his hands, even a, even a white-collar job for a few years, before he even goes to seminary. Because they're absolutely clueless to how bad things are in society. I, I, that's taking the best take on it. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and stop right there um, and pray. We do pray, God Almighty, that we would not have discouraged hearts, Lord, but open eyes to see the enemy and the false beliefs that are affecting our brothers and sisters, Lord, and our hearts would go out to them and pray for them and prepare ourselves, Lord, to give a better answer, God, so that we can meditate upon, Lord, uh, a better way of helping them, Lord, to do the right thing and resist the pressure and the lies of society and the subtle ways in which, Lord, it undermines our beliefs and what you've given us in your word and in natural revelation. Help us to that end, we pray. Encourage us, Lord, this Lord's Day, that you are with us and that we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In your name alone we pray. Amen.